Hey, you call Gary. Come back and call right now. Leave a message. I'll call you back. Thanks. Yeah, that'd be right. Christmas Day, sitting around. No one can bother turning up on time. Oh, hang on, I'm going to go find these guys. Hang on. Mm, sounds like someone's down here. Hang on. Darts. Got to be Bert Whistle. Hang on. Hey, Bertie, it's time. We're on. What are you doing? Yeah, you don't know what, Alex. It's the last set. Phil Power's going to hit tops, and he, he wins the set. He closes out. Just I'll be right there, mate. Yeah, helpful, yeah, okay, all right, hang on. Well, hang on, I've got to find AP anyway, so I'll meet you in the studio in a sec, hang on. Righto. Oh, well, I suppose the first place to look for the voiceover artist is in the voice booth. Let's see if he's here. AP, you in here? If you see anything suspicious. Actually, this red wine looks a bit suspicious. Yeah, I'm here, Robbo. I'm just trying to find everyone. I don't know. What are you looking at me for? I'm having a drink. All right, well, I've, I found Bertie. He's into the darts. You're into the red wine. Yeah, all right, mate. You're interrupting right. me. I'm now practicing. Go find Lofty. Hang on. Uh, I suppose change room, maybe. And also, Robbo, we're at Lockerheads. Hey, Lofty. Previously on the Mojo Radio Show. You ready, show. mate? We're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just warming up, man. Me, 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 me. Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Take the next 40-odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and your personal life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, our final year blowout. The show, I've got to say, I promise, guys, this could be a little loose because we have the whole crew in the studio as our final year show. We've got a, we've already started our Merry Chris-ember. Um, it is, it is going to be, don't get me wrong, it'll be a great show. We've got an amazing guest with a, a fascinating rock story. Mm. But uh, having all the boys here, we don't exactly know where it's going to go. So um, Yeah, it'd be nice if you welcome. weren't already watching the darts, mate. Uh, yes, the, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually getting exciting. Um, so we've also got AP here, as you heard, and Lofty Fulton, who is the big voice that brought us Rocktober 2017, is in the house. Uh, great guest this week, and the guest we've got actually came from a listener. Now, Greg, who I met at a gig when I was speaking at, he was a listener of the show, and he said, uh, have you ever thought of interviewing Jesse Fink? At that time, I wasn't familiar with the name Jesse Fink, but Jesse is an author. Now, he's a journalist. He turned author. He wrote an incredible book called Laid Bare, which Greg sent to me, which is a story of him going through hard times when his wife left him unexpectedly and he was basically shattered and it put him into a very dark world of porn and sex. And it's a pretty interesting look at the cyber world of what goes on for singles. So... Uh, it was a great book, and then I wrote to Greg and said, look, thank you for sending me through the book. And he said, did you know Jesse also wrote Bon, The Last Highway, the untold story of Bon Scott and ACDC's Back in Black? And I thought, Robert, that's us. That sounds like us big time. That's right up our alley. <laughs> so I wrote to Jesse and said, look, I really enjoyed Laid Bear. Is there any chance that we could get you on the line to talk about Bon, The Last Highway? Now, I've got to say, folks, this is... And I, I, I really, this book really took me by surprise because it's not your typical story of here that here's, here's where he grew up, here's what he went through, here's the highs and lows. This is actually a cold case. Jesse, being a journalist and writing a book about Bond's death and some of the mysteries behind the lyrics in Back in Black, which is one of the greatest rock albums of all time worldwide. He uncovered some really interesting stuff in this. So I spoke to Jesse and said, mate, would you come on the show as our final year blowout to bring a bit of rock, a bit of mystery? And I've got to say the other part that you're going to get from this is some really interesting learnings. If you're in the corporate world or you are in business for yourself, there are some amazing learnings out of this for any of us that are in business. So uh, Jesse Fink, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. G'day, mate. Now, when people bump into you, Jesse, and ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? <laughs> That's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm an author, um, but I'm an author between books, so I'm not doing a hell of a lot right now. I'm just sort of uh, taking a break and... Uh, Getting ready to, to do the next one. But, you know, after you've worked on something for four years straight, 
you know, you need some time out. I'm going to say straight at the outset, mate, this is such... So we're going to dig into Bond, The Last Highway. This is such an interesting book. And the reason I say that is it's not a traditional rock book about a rock star. It actually almost reads like a a thriller or a, a drama or a cold case. I mean, it's a very, very unusual book in the way that it's a story about somebody we admire and look back to, particularly as an Aussie, Aussie rock kid growing up. But the the drama and the suspense and the questions that the book brings to it's such a great read, mate. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting project because I started out initially um, wanting to do a book about Bonner in America, so from the years seventy seven to seventy nine. And when I had finished that, I, I realised you know I couldn't really ignore his death, um, I had to, you know, cover that in some way. And, you know, like a lot of people, I, I, I had read Clinton Walker's book about mm. Bond and, you know, um, read the um, material that uh, was out there on, on Bond's death and, you know, it was pretty much an open and shut case. But as I actually kind of got into it and sort of examined all the various um, accounts of, of what had happened, um, I realised uh, there was a whole new story to tell. So, you know, what was interesting is that parts four and five of the book, which is the mm. section of the book that deals with Bond's death, actually ended up taking me about a year and a half just on its own. <laughs> um, because it was a... like a, I went down a real rabbit hole uh, when I was when I was doing that part of the book, it was um, quite an obsession, and it sort of ended up uh, sort of being a sort of a CSI rock and roll. Really, <laughs> I bumped into a, a guy called Trevor Trevor Marshallsey, and he has just finished a book with Peter Moody, the famous racehorse trainer who had black caviar, who was the greatest horse of all time in its time. And being a journalist who used to write for the Sydney Morning Herald, he wrote the book from a journalistic perspective, digging into things. And it just occurs to me in reading your book that as a journalist and as you call yourself a researcher, it, it brings a different spin to, a, different, to a, a typical biography because it seems like you're, you're looking at it and you're writing with a different lens. Is that a lens you've always had in your own personal world? Uh, well, look, I, I started out um, as a journalist, actually. Um, I worked many for many years as a sports journalist, uh, as an editor. I was uh, an editor at Inside Sport magazine uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, I got nominated for a Walkley Award. So, I mean, I knew how to write features. I, I was very, you know, versed in... Um, you know, the skills that you need as a journalist. And then um, I became a columnist for SBS, uh, wrote my first book back in about 2007, um, and then I wrote another two books before Bond. Mm. Um, And so by the time Bond rolled around, um, I had really learned a lot about... um, uh, research about the value of research, about the value of um, uh, editing myself, um, about you know how to put books together, and I'd also worked as a book editor as well, so I, I knew what it was like on both sides of the industry. Um, and I think all those things have kind of helped shape, I guess, the methodology that I use when I when I write a book. Um, and the thing with Bond was that um, I spent, you know, like a full year just just doing research before I even wrote a thing. Um, and, you know, I spent hours upon hours in libraries. I, I did so much work on online. I'm, I'm an amazing researcher, I have to say, when it comes to... Um, when it comes to Google finding anything you, you know that you need to find, it, it's out there. You just got to know where to look. And um, but I would would use things such as um, you know eBay 
to find things, you know. There's, there's, so, there's so much information out there. You've just got to be, you've got to really cast a wide net. And uh, I also found Facebook incredibly useful um, to, to find people. Um, you know, there, there are so many, there are so many um, resources out there for any, any writer sort of tackling a non-fiction book that um, you really have no excuse unless you, you know, if you don't produce a, a well-researched book. And I can tell you that readers actually thank you for it yeah. when, you, when you put in the work. And the reason I wanted to start there, Jesse, was because this isn't a traditional rock book. I mean, the research, what you've put together and what you've uncovered, I think, for anyone who's interested in music, biographies, autobiographies, history, and it's, it really is something. And, and I, I wanted to start there because one of the things you said in the book was that traditional biographers have become an endangered species in music writing. This is not a typical book. And I think this time of the year, this is our final show for the year and going into Christmas, anybody who's got somebody who wants a gift that it really is, it's a big book, but there is just loads of research and time that's gone into this. And something that I wanted to ask you about was you talked about Bond's writing, that at the time when he was writing, his, his artistry as a, as a writer was as good as any in the world, yet he wasn't recognised for that. Why, why do you think that was? I think it was because of the, um, that the image, well, because of the image that sort of ACDC had created for themselves. Um, it sort of became a bit of a noose for Bond by the end of his career. You know, they, they sort of... Um, burst out of the blocks in sort of 1975 with their first album. And, you know, uh, Bon Scott was sort of cast as this sort of Fagan-like character very early on, you know, this sort of bad guy leading his sort of young minions. And uh, I think that sort of just became a bit of a trap for Bon by the end of his of his life, and um, you know, you 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 go through you know all the interviews that Bond did uh, from about 1975, you know, through to 79. Um, you know, he was playing a role um, that I didn't think um, really tallied with who the man, the real man, was, mm. um, and I think that would have contributed a lot to sort of the, I guess, the confusion that he had about who he was. Uh, and I would venture that that would have had a lot to do with his drinking because I think he was a very uh, depressed person uh, and he was sort of uh, stuck in a stuck in a band that, that he loved but also that he knew that... Um, Really wasn't satisfying him, and and you know the the thing with with his writing is that you know Bond was actually um, into you know very clever lyrics, and we saw a lot of clever lyrics in in his songs. But what his former lover Silver told me was that you know Bond would Bond would write a clever line, but the Young Brothers w- would cut it out. So. Uh, it's amazing to think, you know, what Bond might have actually produced um, had he not been sort of censored by the Young Censorship Committee. It isn't just a book about rock or a lead singer, but you've said that Bond behind closed doors wasn't the Bond that we knew and loved as the front man for ACDC. And yet it kind of seems to me that a lot of people are living their own life like that, Jesse, today in any aspect of life is that what quite often what people see from the outside when you get behind closed doors the the actual person we are is quite different if we are in touch with that at all because you discovered that the bond behind closed doors was very different to the front man wasn't it yeah, yeah that's a very interesting uh, point um you know look at social media today and the you know the identities we create for ourselves you know, on things like Facebook and Twitter. You know, can you imagine, you know, Bon in the age of Facebook? Um, <laughs> he, he, was a, he was a very different character. He, he you know, he read books. He, he listened to music like Steely Dan. Um, 
he was a very sensitive man. Um, he had a, 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 a really bad drinking problem that was causing him great anguish um, by the end of 1979. Uh, he was debating whether he wanted to continue in the band. He, he wanted to um, leave to, to get himself sorted. Um, and uh, he never actually sort of um, pulled the trigger and did it. Um, mm. And, you know, only a few months later he was dead. And it's a very sad story, really. And a lot of people actually wrote to me after reading the book and said, you know, look, I've been a, a Bond fan all my life and I really, um, I really appreciate kind of what you've done in this book, but it's just made me incredibly sad. And uh, it is a sad story. It's about a guy who, you know, he knew what he needed to fix himself, but he, he just, he didn't do it for himself. And, and um, he paid the price, you know, the ultimate price, really. And, and what he needed was help, and he didn't get it. And uh, it's a great tragedy because, you know, Bond, as we all know, um, is one of the great rock singers of all time, one of the great rock lyricists of all time. And um, I, I wanted with this book just to, to celebrate his... With the research you've done, Jesse, I've got a question for you, a controversial question for a lot of ACDC fans or just rock fans or people who just enjoy to rock out. We've talked about how he was the front man. He created this iconic notion of what ACDC was about. So whenever you see an ACDC T-shirt today, it's about rebellion, it's about loud music, it's about being yourself, having a crack, being from the street. And even to this day, decades since the band was formed, they still carried that perception. Would the band have been as successful or more successful had Bond stayed alive? Like, was there a turning point where things changed or is today's ACDC a legacy of what Bond created as almost a position for their band in our minds? Yeah, I think the, the, the brand of ACDC is all about Bond Scott, to be honest. I mean, that, he, he is the force that gave those four letters the power that they have. Um, because you see that logo, you see it everywhere. I was in Cambodia not so long ago, um, and I saw a guy walking down the street in one of those terrible sort of knockoffs, and it had an ACDC logo, and it said, Established 1979. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had to stop him and get a photograph with him. Um, and I said, you know, what's your favourite ACDC album? He said, I don't know. You know, he didn't know anything about ACDC. He just knew it was a really cool T-shirt, and uh, and that's the thing is for 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 kids all around the world, um, ACDC means rebellion, and mm. it remains rebellion because of Bon Scott and the way that he led his life. And he's a very appealing character to this day to a lot of people um, because Bon was all about living life on your own terms and people look at him and they uh, mythologise him to a large degree. You know, there's a statue of him now in Kirimura in Scotland. Um, and what's happened is that, you know, I think people have kind of um, sort of distorted the, re the reality of, of, of Bond's life just to suit what what they need to get out of him, you know, um, how they need him uh, to make them feel um, about themselves. And I, I think there's a, there's a section of the ACDC fan base who have been up in arms about this book um, because of, you know, the fact that I've written that he most likely died of a heroin overdose. And I don't think that that diminishes Bond in any way to know the truth about how he died um, at all. Uh, I wanted to humanise 
the guy and, and, and stop turning him into this sort of rock and roll caricature. And I don't know, you know, I, can't, I really don't understand why, why people um, who, are, who say that they are fans of Bon Scott don't actually want to know the real man. For some reason, they're more comfortable with the caricature. He did a pretty good job that night, though, didn't he? Because uh, from all accounts I've heard, he was out drinking triple bourbons and Coke or something, though, was he not? Double whiskies, yeah. yeah. Double whiskies, yeah, right. So he did a pretty good job in general that night. Well, I mean, sorting through, you know, what what is what is fact and what is fiction is a very difficult thing when it comes to the last 24 hours of, of Bond's life. Um and that's why, you know, that part of the book was so enormous. I think it's like 150 pages or something. Yeah. Just going through what happened in the last 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's no doubt, uh, you know, from what I collected that that Bond was doing a substantial amount of drugs uh, in addition to his alcohol consumption. Um, all kinds so, of drugs. So, Jesse... The two big things that I guess ACDC fans and or rock fans or people who are interested in a great story will want to discover is, number one, is how he died. And you have put forward a compelling case with evidence to say that what we understand to be how he died may not be the actual fact. And you've got true evidence, which I think is quite amazing with the research you've done and a real credit to you. The other thing that I was interested in was the lyrics for Back in Black, where there's a lot of conjecture now and you've got evidence to say that he was involved in writing, if not all of them, a lot of those lyrics. And he had what he called books of words or the poetry, which was his lyrics and his notebooks. Where are they? Like what, what's, what's happened? What, what happened to all the the notebooks that carried the lyrics that he wrote and the, and the, the wonderful, wonderful artistry that is sort of Bond. Yeah, well, that's the that's the, the question you know most ACDC fans want to know is where are those books? Um, there has been a suggestion that they were returned to the family. We have no confirmation of that. Um, a lot of people suspect that um, there are other people who are in store possession of those. Uh, notebooks. Um, what's interesting is that um, I have received hundreds of letters since the book came out, and virtually everyone says, "Look, I'm convinced that Don had lyrics on Back in Black," um, and I personally think there's more. You know, there's more evidence for. Um, the fact that he died of heroin, but people want to talk about the lyrics. Um, but I still think that there's enough there's enough evidence in the book to to show that that the Bond had something to do with Back and Black. And and you know, there's even two quotes from Angus Young where he admits that Bond's lyrics are on Back and Black. So I don't even know, I don't even know why people are sort of arguing about it anymore. I think it's just a it's a no brainer. You just have to listen. You just have to listen to the album, and you, you can hear it. He uh, he was a he was a journaler. He was someone who kept and collected lyrics. Did you ever discover stories about his songwriting? How he collected? How he wrote songs? Jesse, did ever sort of come out in your research? Uh, well, his girlfriends just said that he you know he would collect things you know wherever he was you know even you know coasters and um, he would he would write. Letters, um, prodigiously. Uh, he was always jotting down ideas when he was on the road. Um, and that's the great thing about sort of the albums from, you know, 77 through to 79 is that Bond was really sort of documenting his life through his songs. Um, and that's why they, they 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 still resonate today, and they're still so powerful. And particularly the album Power Age, because it's a real insight into his his life. Um, and that's not what you get with sort of later period ACDC. You know, um, it's just all about you know dick metaphors. You know, it's it's not it's not clever. Mm. It's all about. Um, it's about the riff, 
Whereas, you know, when Bon was in the band, it was this sort of perfect alchemy of, of the riff with his lyric. Um, and, you know, it, it's... It's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing, uh, Bond Scotty or ACDC. I mean, it has no comparison to what came after. So when I read the sort of the debates about who was the better singer, you know, in ACDC, and people say Brian Johnson, I just cannot believe it. There's, there's absolutely no comparison. I've got a couple of quick things because I know you're doing a lot of media at the moment for the book and rightly so. And a couple of quick things before we uh, let you go. Uh, I'm curious as a researcher and a journalist, Jesse, that, I mean, you've said in the book that there are million-dollar advances going out to people like Elton and The Boss and Phil Collins and the like to write their stories. And invariably a great rock story involves sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And to some that I've read, which was Ronnie Wood from The Stones uh, and uh, Anthony Kiedis from The Chili Peppers, they were so messed up. I just don't understand how can they recall the detail. Because they're, they're, going, they're going right back. How they, I, just, I just cannot see it. Is it fictitious? Is it real? I, I, your research has just made me even doubt it more. Is it, how do these guys remember that stuff when they were so messed up? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that a lot of people have asked me because I, um, I interviewed a lot of people who are ex-heroin addicts, uh, including two members of UFO, uh, Pete Way and Paul Chapman, uh, who had important information about sort of Bond's last 24 hours. So, you know, they're sort of saying, well, how can you um, put any value in what they're saying because they did heroin? Or, but the, the thing is, you do enough research, you interview enough people, you kind of cross-reference those accounts, you see um, similar things in, in, in what they're saying. Um, you know, it's a process of, a process of verification that you have to go through, and, and that's what I did. So I think I don't think their recall is um, you know 100 percent, but I think I think uh, you know the you get a you certainly get a rough idea of, of what went on. And, yeah. and but I've always taken the approach with. You know, when when people are trying to remember things, it's like um, you know the Akira Kurosawa film Rashomon. You know, where there are all these witnesses to a to a a, a murder, and they've all they've all got a different um, they've all got a different account of what happened. Mm. And that and all I try to do in my books is just present what what people remember. Uh, and stack them up against each other and then allow the reader to decide yeah. what might have happened. You know, I'm not, I'm not definitively going and saying, you know, this is exactly what happened to Bon Scott. That's why at the end of the book I come up with two theories about what might have happened to Bond on the, on the last, night of his, uh, last night of his life. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be that arrogant to say that I have all the answers, but um, yeah. I'm, I think this is about as close as you're going to get. Our, our show has always been a little bit rock and a little bit country. And just to close this out, something I saw which I was pretty excited about because I'm the country part of this show, Jesse, is you said Holly X, one of his former girlfriends, said the Bond liked all things country, cowboys and the Wild West. Mate, give us an insight. What was going on there? Oh, yeah. Well, um you know, there's been a long time, for, for a long time, there's been this sort of rumour that you know, Bond was going to do a Southern rock album, uh, Southern rock solo album. And that's something that I explore uh, very briefly in the book. And, uh, you know, Holly, uh, her, her parents were from the South and apparently he, you know, loved sort of talking with a Southern drawl and... Yeah, you can see a lot of uh, Bond's sort of fascination with the South in, in, his, in his lyrics. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, 
sort of uh, southern rock is a fantastic uh, rock genre and I think Bon was very fond of it and certainly a lot of the bands that he played with on the road during that time were southern rock bands so um, he uh, he was obviously influenced by it and you only have to look at an album like Power Age um, and there are some you know clear clear sort of references to the to the south and the west on that well even the front cover of your book has got in with a uh, a southern rock belt buckle on so there's no question it was part of uh, part of his identity wasn't it yeah what's what's really interesting about the belt buckle is that um, it actually says Leonard Skinner on it so where the where the stars are it actually just uh, spells out Leonard Skinner and uh, for years and years there's been this this rumor that Ronnie Van Sant uh, who was the lead singer of Leonard Skinner had had given this to to Bond, um, and it sort of you know just become an, an accepted fact. But I've always thought it was a little bit dubious. And what was really interesting was that after the book came out, um, Artemis Pyle, who was the drummer of Leonard Skinner, actually tweeted. Uh, he he'd read a story about the book and he said, "Oh no, Ronnie had nothing to do with it. Um, it was actually uh, Leon Wilkerson who was the bass player." So, you know, that guys from Leonard Skinner are commenting on the book is fantastic. I'm I'm very chuffed. Well, I've got to say, I. Loved it. I think it's a fantastic idea for a present for those people who are hard to buy for. Mate, well done on the book. It's the work you've put into it and the cross-referencing, the comments from people. And like a typical researcher or journalist, you had cross-references. It wasn't just one person's thoughts. You then got somebody else's views and somebody else's and put it all together. But um, it's a great read, mate. I, I was really excited to read it. We got put in touch by a mutual mate. And, uh, mate, thanks for joining us on the show. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, hearing your thoughts on how you put it together. But um, i got to say, just get the book, because to dig into it, there is a lot to this story, isn't there? Oh, so much. And, you know, the thing is, the actual original manuscript was about 700 pages. You've got about 500 there. So, that, you know, there was a hell of a lot more um, to the story. And I'm not suggesting there's going to be a sequel. <laughs> Uh, But, yeah, look, he had an incredibly rich life and you could certainly, you know, put out another book about Bond and he certainly deserves many more. So, Jesse, what song of ACDC's would we play for you as the play-out song that best represents your admiration for the band? To this day, my favourite is Give Me a Bullet off off Power Rage, but um, I think um, I would like you to play... Uh, gone, gone shooting off Power Rage, which is uh, a song that, that Bond wrote about Silver Smith, his girlfriend. Feel the pressure rise. Yeah, the whistle blow. Found a ticket up around the corner. I don't know. Put your heart in a traveling bag. Never said bye. So I reckon there were some pretty good lessons in that. Yeah, ACDC rock. <laughs> that and if you see what happens is people people are always looking for the next thing and it's something mm. that social media has perpetuated in us is that we're always looking for the next thing, the next post, the next thing that someone's putting on. And the thing that I took from this, which I never really thought about until I read Jesse's book and heard him speak, is that brands actually need to look backwards to remember what made them famous. Even today, you see a kid wearing an ACD T-shirt. That was all started from Countdown era 
mm-hmm. where they were on the back of a back of a ute or back of a truck going down, I think, Collins Street in Melbourne here in Australia. And they were the rebellious ones playing rock and roll in the streets for free and stopping traffic. And to this day, I reckon that the the whole brand of ACDC relates back to Bon Scott and Angus in that time. Absolutely. It's funny, you know, because there's it goes back to a story that I've heard um, about 15 or 20 years ago, FIFA Riccobono, who worked closely with the band in those early years, um, went over to Perth and because uh, it was some anniversary and, and Bon's mum had been invited to an ACDC gig and FIFA went to pick her up and took her to the show. And as she was walking into the arena, she was actually announced as Bond's mum's here tonight. And apparently the whole arena lost its pants, just went absolutely stupid. So the legacy of Bond Scott can certainly, as we talked about in that interview, can certainly not be underestimated with the success that they still enjoy. The other lesson that I take from that is when something that is in, in the book and then Jesse talked about it is that the Bond when you on stage was different to the Bond behind closed doors. Mm. And this is something we've spoken to Amy Morin about. We've spoken to different psychologists on the show is that, and quite often we go down this track with our guests to say, well, how do we develop true self-awareness? And I guess when you're carrying a persona on social or you're carrying a persona out there and you've got all the smiles, but inside you're empty and hollow and you're not aware of who you are, that struggle presents itself the way that Bond did and Bond didn't for obviously the whole rock and roll, alcohol and drugs and a downward spiral. But it's interesting. I don't think enough people are aware of who they are and what they stand for and what their purpose in life is. And we put on this persona, whereas inside we don't have it. And I, I thought that was quite fascinating the way that he brought that out in the book. And, uh, and I've heard a number of people talk about that. Mm. Whoever took Bond's place in the band from that moment on had some pretty big shoes to fill. And I would say over Christmas time, Folks, take the time, a little bit of stillness and silence, just to think about who, who you are. So behind closed doors, take Bond's scenario. And I'd be saying, think about what, what really lights you up. Why are you here? And Tate Fletcher would say is, who are you being of service to? And how are you being of service? Who do you really care about and who cares about you? And how do you measure success? Because I think they're the sorts of questions that people struggle with and answer those questions in your journal. And I think you're starting to go a long way to building a true awareness of yourself, Uh, particularly if you've got a facade that you're putting on, but inside you're struggling to answer those questions. And um, I got to say, it's a really good book. I've said it before during the show, but uh, it's called Bond, The Last Highway, The Untold Story of Bond Scott and ACDC's Back in Black. Don't be surprised, folks, if you see this as a movie because this is a great story. There's lots of question marks. I don't think Jesse answered the questions, but he certainly put forward some pretty profound evidence to say that what we what we know to be true ain't so. It's Santa here. A very Merry Christmas and the happiest New Year. Ho, ho, ho. The Mojo Radio Show. Well, that brings it to a close, folks. Another big show, another big year. Thank you to all the boys for your contribution this year. AP and Lofty could not have done it without you, boys. We appreciate everything you've put in this year. Thank you very much. Oh, look, I don't know that you could have done it with us either, but, um, yeah, without us works as well. <laughs> <laughs> Week in and week out, the show wouldn't be anything like it is without AP. And um, Lofty, Rocktober certainly wouldn't be Rocktober without your dulcet tones, mate. So thank you both from me as well. Oh, well, thanks, guys. It's uh, it's good to be on at least once a year. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's been an absolute <laughs> pressure. Thank you. Yeah. Well, with that said, Lofty, you're happy to, uh, you know, there are some contract negotiations you need to go through uh, involving Red Wine and AP. So if you're around, mate, uh, there could be a spot for you, Sean. Oh, look, have your people talk to my people. <laughs> and uh, listen. We'll be talking to Lofty next year too, mate, around April or May. Yes, true. What's the story, Lofty? Uh, tell us. What the story is, it's uh, I've got my memoirs coming out. So um, I have uh, been signed by HarperCollins Australia and they are publishing my memoirs. The um, The manuscript went to the publishers Friday last. Uh, the editors and legal people will get a hold of it because apparently I'm not allowed to call people names. But um, they will get a hold of it, go over it with a fine tooth comb. <laughs> And uh, then my memoirs will be hitting the shops around about May, I think it is, May in 2018. Awesome. 
And AP, apparently you had an offer for someone to publish your memoirs, but you said you didn't have any. No, that was actually a court order. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Restraining order. Yes, yeah, it's a bit different to a But it was a good story. It, was, I, I feel, it made a great read, mate. Yeah, Rob, yeah. I think you're confusing his well, memoir with his memories. He doesn't have any memories, yes. not memories. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, Lofty, just before we let you go, mate, the um, the story itself, is it an autobiography or have you had a ghostwriter? Like, how would you put it together? Um, it, it was really, uh, I know this is a term that's used so often these days, but it was really organic. I um, got interviewed a couple of times mm. uh, over the last 12, 18 months and uh, posted a link to one of them on uh, my Facebook page and somebody said, Lofty, you should write a book. And so, I then got in touch with uh, a friend of ours who's also a journalist, did a story on myself and a fellow voiceover guy, Nick Mackay, um, last year. She said, oh, Lofty, I can help you with that. And uh, from waking up one day thinking I might, yeah, I might write a book, to uh, three to four weeks later we uh, had a contract with HarperCollins. So Nicole, uh, Nicole Partridge is, has been my ghostwriter. I've provided the stories. Um, she's uh, sewn them all together and knocked them into shape and given them some kind of flow. And she's, I've got to say, guys, she's done a really, really good job. Makes my life sound interesting. It was just left up to me. It wouldn't have been. Was she a journalist or is she a journalist? She is a journalist. She's uh, written a number of things for Murray Claire, The Good Weekend magazine, uh, mm. which appears in the Fairfax Weekend papers, I think it is. Um, and, yeah, she's she's uh, also ghostwritten a couple of other books as well. So uh, from January this year to early December, we got it all done. So, which is, it's just been an incredible feat. I suppose to more answer your question, Gary, is, you know, I just wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, my God, I've got to write about that. So I'd be up on the computer yeah. at 3 o'clock in yeah, the morning and yeah. just banging out the story be, before I lost it. And in writing one story, that would then lead to a thread to, oh, now I remember that happening and just certain circumstances. So um, it's been very cathartic, slayed a few demons along the way. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing it on the shelves. Yeah. We've it's, it's interesting because we had uh, Patria King from, Quest for Life, who's got the most um, insane backstory with with the trauma and tragedy she's had to deal with, and she now helps people with their own. And she she also found the same thing writing her autobiography. She found it very cathartic, and she did discover things about herself and her past which helped her deal with it. And the other thing that I found of recent times, Lofty, is uh, having journalists write biographies and or help with autobiographies, the journalistic approach to writing seems to bring out, I don't know, a better quality book. Like it seems more, a book with more integrity. So uh, with what we've, the people we've spoken to recently who've been down that same road as you have, I think it's, um, I think it's a good thing to produce a great product. Uh, it, um, it wouldn't be the same book without Nicole's input. There's no two ways about that. It's uh, like I could write a story and I'd be really attached to that particular story going in. And she would say, you know, and of course a discussion would ensue and she'd say, well, Lofty, whilst I'm, it may be important to you, this one doesn't rank up there in importance with the other stories. You know, when you get to a case of what do we put in, what mm. do we leave out, if you're spoiled for choice as far as content goes. Um, she was really, really good like that and also you know, pulling the reins in a bit as well of like, well, I wouldn't say that because it sounds a little too harsh. Perhaps you could phrase it like this. So, um, yeah, because, you know, I wrote about everything from being bullied in uh, school, mm. uh, growing up with dwarfism, obviously, and also the uh, breakdown I had back in 2013 where I got hit with a bout of uh, clinical depression and general anxiety disorder and just basically uh, was unable to work for three months. I just disappeared appeared from view because, um, and I know a lot of people have had uh, their own battles with uh, mm. mental health issues. And I think the really good thing about the conversations that are happening around that these days is that um, that people are able to talk about it and also that they know they're not alone because when you're going through it, it's one of the most lonely experiences and frightening experiences. Well, it is the most lonely and frightening experience, even though I was surrounded by people inside my own head. It was very lonely with the demons I was dealing with and uh, to be able to get that down, if it helps somebody along the way, then then great. You know, uh, this this we see people on the street every day and you go, well, you know, oh, they look like they've got their life together. You don't know what's going on behind the curtain. You just don't. Mm -hmm. It's true. So, Robbo, are we suggesting uh, Lofty come on in the uh, middle of the year and 
do well, a bit I think of we've got to, and tell, uh, take us through the story? I think we've got to get him on and tell us the story in full, don't you? Oh, without question. I'd, I'd love to have him on. So, Lofty, what do you reckon? You up for it? Oh, definitely. I'd love to, guys. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Gentlemen, once again, thank you for your help this year. The show would never, wouldn't be nothing like it is without you. Or, or as fun. Or as fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Gentlemen, Merry Christmas. Yeah, to you too, Merry guys. Christmas. Have a good one. Stay safe. Merry Christmas yeah. to you. The Mojo Radio Show. So, mate, before we disappear for the year, uh, I've bought you a little Christmas present. Here you go. Oh, I've already got this. This Waylon, I've already got Waylon Jennings stuff. I've got all his albums. Yeah, okay. It's a it's a little promise of what's to come in the new year, so you might have to keep your ears open. <laughs> all right. Well, actually, I got you something as well. I know. Oh, it's really? A lot, but uh, unexpected. But it's probably here. Just uh, try this, mate. Oh. What is it? <laughs> well, this is something that I've had now for twenty years. Oh. And okay. this what? is the ACDC boxed set from. Oh, nice. Yeah, a lot of stuff that was, I don't think even released, albums that people would not know even if I named them. But this was given to me at the House of M's when we worked at Triple M back in the halcyon days of the M's, back in the good old, back in the day. And uh, I thought because we did this end of year show and it was all about Bon the Last Highway, it uh, might be a nice memento for you, mate. It's really nice, but... It smells a bit of bourbon and beer, can I just say? <laughs> yeah, but it's a box. There's nothing in it. It's just a box. Oh, I've, got, right. I've got the set used with the box. <laughs> anyway. Look good up on the shelf in the studio. Thanks, mate. Merry Christmas. Hey, Santa, want a party? The Mojo Radio Show. So a couple of weeks back, we interviewed a guy called Taylor Pearson, who was great, really nice guy, and he wrote a book called uh, The End of Jobs, and it was about what the workplace will look like going into the future. Fascinating conversation. And something he said uh, after we'd finished recording is one of his favourite bands was The Ramones. Now, this is a band that's influenced punk across the world, and some of the world's most iconic bands like U2 would mm. say that The Ramones had a heavy influence on their genre of music, their writing, their musicality. And the one thing that Taylor talked about, which I love, is he, he said he loved the simplicity because the Ramones basically were just three chords. You know who else grew up listening to the Ramones, who I couldn't believe I saw on the on the on E News the other day? It's right. Beyonce. Beyonce. Listened to the yeah, Ramones right. heavily as she was growing up. So we're not just talking rock acts here either. Talking all acts. Yes. And the lesson that I take from that is that when you're sitting down to think about your year ahead. Don't don't complicate it. It's going to be quite often the stuff you take out rather than more stuff you can put in. So if you get your journal out and you're starting to plan what next year will look like, what the dreams are for 2018, think about the stuff you can eliminate from your world to give the good stuff room to fly. And I think the Ramones, who had such an impact on the world, all based on three chords, is a great representation of simplicity and minimalism. And that is that's a big trend right now because we just can't deal with the clutter. Yeah, well, we talk about it constantly on the show. We've had a number of great interviews about getting rid of the clutter, haven't we? And I think uh, the, song, the song to take us out... Oh, here we go. Is, <laughs> yeah, We've been putting some thought, some thought into this, have we? Hang on, let me guess. Let me, let me rewind your brain here a minute. You actually came up with the song that you wanted to play before you came up with the backstory, didn't you? Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on, give it to us. So the song that I reckon is a good play out for the year and a good play out song for this time of the year mm. is the Ramones mm -hmm. and it's called We're a Happy Family. So oh, we are. if there is a wish we could give you guys, our listeners, is first of all, thank you for getting on board. Mm. If you've been on board for a while, thank you for staying with us. Mm -hmm. And we hope you have a great time with your families. And put down the phone, no quick glances, no postings, just be with your family, look in their eye, hold them, hug them. Because to be honest, you do not know how many Christmases you've got in front of you. Mm. And I said that to a guy two weeks ago. And he said, yeah, it's true. And the following day, he lost one of his best mates to cancer. Oh, wow. You don't know how many Christmases you've got. We are a happy family. We thank you for your support. And the other thing I'd say to you is uh, to our friends in America, who particularly those in California, who are fighting those just insane wildfires, 
Send a thought and some love out to those guys who will not be with their families on Christmas Day. The fires don't stop on Christmas Day because yeah. it's a public holiday. Yeah, that's right. They just keep on burning towards Santa Barbara and down towards San Diego. They're just horrific. There'll be people all over the world looking after others on Christmas Day and Boxing Day and New Year's Day with no thought of anything else except being of service to others. So, um... To all those families who have somebody else out there being of service, we hope this song brings a little bit of fun, a little perspective to you. This is the Ramones. We're a happy family. Me, Mum and Dad. We're out. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.